Hello, I'm Kane Winstead. Hello, Internet. I'm Matthew Derrigish. And you're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where we'll be taking a look at the deep cuts and forgotten tales of the Spider-Man library, looking for lost gems and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. Matt, what are we reading today? Today, we are reading about, what is it, the actual sixth Green Goblin in the Marvel Universe, and we are focusing on his appearance in thunderbolts 128 and 129 written by andy diggle art by roberto de la torre colors by frank martin letters by albert de and edited by bill roseman i I tricked you into pronouncing all those names this time it wasn't me (laughs) this story came out january 21st of 2009 the same week that saw dark avengers debut and the dark rain mega arc starting which is interesting to note because dark rain is a event that took place in a number of marvel books but didn't have an event book itself and important to note this also happens to be the day after president obama's inauguration for his first term which plays into the story because this is a modern issue its story is widely available. Marvel has it digitally as part of the unlimited service that you probably are familiar with at this point. Comicsology also has this issue for its price as a single issue or collected within the Thunderbolts burning down the house trade. Physical copies of the trade go for uh, $16 to $4, depending on how classy you want your copy to be and you know soft cover hard cover all your normal choices the individual issues go for about eight online each which is good news for me because i actually got these when they came out it's you'd probably be better off to just grab a cheap trade and read through the story because these two issues on their own don't actually amount to as much we're just focusing on it for the green goblin aspect so a little more bang for your buck there right and and to that effect you know because this is a modern issue the stories kind of like bleed into each other a little bit more than perhaps like the past stories we've talked about um and because this one's outside of the spider-man wheelhouse so you know we will be we'll, we'll do it like a short summary to get you guys up to speed so warren ellis's run on this title which is probably the like the magnum opus for Thunderbolts is the Warren Ellis run. Uh, that ends about two years prior to this story, I believe, uh, with Norman Osborn reverting back to his Green Goblin persona and rampaging into the Thunderbolts, or rampaging in the Thunderbolts Mountain, which is the HQ for the Thunderbolts. Then you fast forward through a few issues from Secret Invasion, and then you get to Songbird, who's one of the Thunderbolts, has a copy of the security footage of that rampage and norman puts out a hit on her but she's able to inform and transfer the files to doc Sampson, who alerts the newly inaugurated president clearly obama but never mentioned by name uh the president then invites norman and Sampson onto air force one to discuss a matter while they fly out to an overseas summit and that's more or less what you need on the backstory for this story um to to jump into this one i i guess the only other thing to note would be that like 
if you really aren't super familiar with Thunderbolts, like this era of Thunderbolts and the Warren Ellis story is that like Norman Osborn is in charge of a bunch of villains who are essentially Marvel's answer to the Suicide Squad. You know, they're, they're villains who are performing acts of heroism in order to lessen the sentence, basically. Right, this is a far cry from where Thunderbolts was for years under more of Nikesa's run, and mm-hmm. it it was a sharp turn, which was funny because Nikesa's run ended with them coming back to the original renumbering, but Ellis just continued with the old numbering despite that, so it's a odd jump. So despite the numbers being really high, this is actually coming from a relatively fresh chunk of continuity that wouldn't take too long to catch up on. Right. Um, so yeah, so that, that's, that's uh, like I said, about what you need to tee off on this story. Let's, let's jump straight in, why don't we? So, uh, you know, we call this a, a fresh Green Goblin story, but uh, Green Goblin really doesn't show up much in this story. Uh, it's kind of our way to cheat a little bit, because this is... At the end of the day, a Norman Osborn Green Goblin story where Norman Osborn isn't the Green Goblin. Would you would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Th- there's no question. Not only is this book focused on Norman Osborn, this era of Marvel is focused on Norman Osborn. This is playing him up to be an antagonist on a Lex Luthor-esque scale, as you'd see in the Distinguished Competition. This is bringing Norman to a whole new level. And in a way, we haven't seen sense either. Literally, this story begins with him hopping on to... Well, I, mean, I believe it's Air Force One. I think they, they call it Air Force One, but it's the president's airplane, which is Air Force One. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, it, he's hopping on with Obama. So right away, you know, the, the stakes, the access, what's going on is really heating up. Well, and and before we go on any further, I want to talk about Obama just for a second, because I feel I feel it's really interesting because this this story pointedly takes place at the regime change, and reading it, I mean, visually, it's clearly Obama. You know, it looks the uh, it looks just like him, but they never actually name him as Obama. It's always Mr. President. You know, they never make reference to to the W. It's always, you know, the former administration. And so, you know, when I first read it, I thought, well, that's strange because that really makes this story difficult to place with Marvel's sliding timeline. But then I reread it and, you know, realized that, well, they actually never name the president. All this really takes place or all this. All you really need to know is that this takes place right as one president is leaving and another president has entered. And it's also kind of funny because this this comic uh blames like uh norman being put in a place of power on the past administration so if you want you can you can kind of look into this being like as a condemnation of of w's character almost but you would you would then have to assume that w was the past marvel president as well which i don't know if there's any precedent for or not right who's a real politician versus the politician at the time marvel is always a bit of a mix right i mean i i only really meant that as like as it was coming out i mean ignoring the continuity reading the comic in a vacuum but anyway uh i i just i just thought that it was it was an interesting way to make a comic topical while also fitting it into the the rubber band theory by not 
technically naming anybody, just having the artist draw a very striking similarity or a very striking, uh, I guess, representation of Obama. Uh, whatever. Right. Well, it's funny, too, because this is hinging on that president being in there, but at the same time, not really staking much on who the president is. So it's playing close with politics while being relatively neutral about real world politics, if you will. Meanwhile, in Amazing, you have Spider-Man fist bumping Obama on the cover. So <laughs> no, no, he was he he wasn't fist bumping on the cover. It Wolverine and Spider-Man fist bumped over Obama. Obama was on the cover giving a thumbs up. What? No. <laughs> I'm just I'm just nitpicking you right now. I can't remember if Spider-Man ever actually met Obama in the Obama issue. It's been a while since I've read the Obama issue. They fist bump. They fist bump. Okay. They bump. Fist. Terrorist fist jab if you're Fox News. Anyway. Lovely people on the podcast, you can't see this, but I am sending Kane a picture. Okay, so we're 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 gonna do this live. We're doing it live well, right now. Look, oh man, this ad's covering it up. <laughs> so look, this is important to understand. I because I want to talk about this because politics and comics is uh contentious right now. Really? I'll leave that there. <laughs> what? But this was a different era, and it was funny because Obama was taken to very literally, not only in Spider-Man, Marvel as a whole, but I mean, across the board, comics seemed to want to get Obama in, because on top of being the new president, he was something of a fad with the ad campaign and everything they did. In a way that I don't think we've seen happen with past presidents, even though past presidents have shown up in comics, not like this and not in that moment. We're only one past, but uh, that guy hasn't shown up in comics in the way Obama has. <laughs> uh, he did show up in the, uh, the Spider-Gwen annual. Yeah, not like this. <laughs> he didn't. All right. Very different tone and tenor to that. Yes. And so you feel the way you want to feel. I just want to note textually that the way that they were treating Obama, the way they brought it in, was very comfortable and very okay with it in a way I haven't really seen before or since. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I think we've we've hit this point. Or, you know, hard enough. We can. We. Can, yeah. 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 While Obama, Samson, and Osborne are just having a grand old time on Air Force One talking about the massacre at Thunderbolts Mountain, a masked figure who is sticking to the ceiling and climbing around, uh, swinging around, is in play. And we find out very quickly it's uh, the second Black Widow, or as they say pretty directly, Black Widow 2, which is... What? Weird. I don't think any other legacy character just gets a two on their name in, in the book. Yeah, I mean, like, unofficially, I, I think it's, that's, you know, the common denominator. But, yeah, officially, I, I, you know, they always just call them, you know, the Black Widow or the second Black Widow. But, I mean, this also takes place in a flashback in the comic. And this is more setting up Diggle's art because this is technically, this is the third issue of his arc. Or, I'm sorry, of his run. So the, it's it's setting up the the run. You see Norman kind of operating in the background, setting up his new Thunderbolts team to work as kind of the X Force of his uh, empire. To kind of mix our metaphors with Dark Avengers being the regular Avengers. Wait, when you say X Force, how do you mean? Is X Force like the Black Ops X Men team? Oh, at one point, yes. Okay. So yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. 
Uh, I, I wanted to say they were also the like the Black Ops team around this era. Anyway, that that part is not necessarily important to this story. I don't think the 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 main crux of this issue is that Doc Sampson is basically trying to get Norman removed from his office as head of shield slash hammer and Norman is trying everything he can to maintain his new seat of power while also not tipping his hat that you know he's indeed a violent sociopath and so there's a lot of tension in this uh comic because of that because like it's you know the old hitchcock you know the audience knows that there's a bomb underneath the table we know that norman is capable of extreme violence and you know you've got the president there meeting him like he's a he's a cabinet member because he essentially was a cabinet member at this point i don't know how, how did you feel about the stakes in this and how did you feel about the tension because i thought i thought this was like a very tense thriller-esque uh kind of story more so than a superhero story what would what, you think oh yeah this is more house of cards than it is superheroes at this point it's about political tension, like you're saying. And it's about setup, though. Like, we have Ant-Man, the, the bad Ant-Man. Eric O'Grady. Yeah. Come in, help set things up. You have ghosts, whatnot. So they have a touch of super heroics just to uh, keep it comic booky. Right. There's, you know, Norman Osborn set up some false flag attack. So And then has uh, Eric O'Grady plant a gamma ray injector into Samson to make him kind of hulk out and make him look like he's the aggressor in this norman comes in and saves the day but not before someone else comes in the green goblin yeah but it ain't it's not a construct you know we already got rid of the goblin construct and i'd like to point out the green goblin comes in it's a cliffhanger there's cackling (laughs) you know it's the cackle is the important part of the Green Goblin character. And, you know, not not to beat up on Barton Hamilton for missing his cackling opportunities, but he really missed his cackling opportunities. And he only got like five issues, so really should have made him count. Right. The point is, is that Norman is in the government. He gained notoriety for during secret invasion, making a big decisive play to take out the Skrulls by murdering them. He just shot them with a gun a lot and solve the problem and he's the hero of the day it's just hard to ignore the fact that like yeah he's capable of violence we know that but that's also the same reason why people like him at this moment one are you implying that a marvel event ended in a lackluster you know kind of ho-hum ending I was not. I'm just saying that's how he handled it. What's what's hard about that, though, is he gets the public notoriety. But if you read Secret Invasion, the real uh, work was still done by a number of the superheroes still reeling from dealing with each other after Civil War. And uh, him shooting a handful of the scrolls helped, but it wasn't really the big decisive play that ended the big deal, though struggling to remember the exact details because it's been many a year since i read that but his play was only fraction of the solution and he gets all the solution but okay if you think it's lackluster you think it's lackluster yeah i'm not here to debate secret invasion i'm not either because that comic broke me but that's uh, the hill i'm dying on yeah (laughs) but you know it's you know how it was set up aside I, i still think this is one of the most interesting periods in marvel's publication we've we've had post-bankruptcy 
you know, rivaled only probably by the uh, Secret Wars era, uh, where we were getting all those really cool and creative one-shots. But, yeah, so we get the Green Goblin shows up and allows Norman to kind of operate as the hero. And it turns out that this Green Goblin was, a you know, set up by Norman in order to clear his name, much like the Goblin Construct was employed. Uh, this one ends up being, like, some no-name 90s Cleveland. Yeah, no name. No name. Sir, this is the headsman. This is Cleveland Twain. <laughs> <laughs> who is a pull from past continuity and basically was floating around and he was pulled a lot in this era to be killed a handful of issues after this one. Can we talk about we the name Cleveland Twain with a guy whose superpower is he has a big axe? Look, he just, his parents knew. <laughs> Uh, it's it's like the Victor Von Doom. Uh, you know, it's just... He, he... Are you sullying the name of Doom? You can't... No. No, well... No, no, no. This is not... Do not compare Headsman to Doom. No, no. It, it's it's something from Mark Wade's uh, Daredevil run. It might have been the annual. I can't remember the exact issue, but it was talking about how, you know, some people, some people just have names. You know, Zebediah Kilgrave, Doctor Doom. They're just... They had no choice in life. With a name like that, you have to become a supervillain. <laughs> we should note the headsman has always kind of been Osborne's lackey, and he flies around on what essentially is a glider. And right. having him throw on a Green Goblin costume to have some duplicity just was not a big stretch. But it was set up within continuity in a way that I think plays off better than the construct, just solely because it's an actual human who's putting on a costume, but it's not this needless nonsense right and and kind of unlike the construct who eventually got some backstory sort of written in like you understand this guy's motives the the guy's motives is like you know he was on osborne's payroll osborne had him do this because one you know he was in the thunderbolts program and two it helped clear norman's name so you had you had clear motive and reason for both characters of why this happened. And it fits in with Norman Osborn's whole shtick in that, like, this was a huge orchestrated plot in order, you know, to manipulate the people around him, which is really the, the best kind of Norman Osborn Green Goblin stories. And I think was a great way to apply that outside of just trying to mess with spider-man you know because that's what like you said earlier the dark reign was about making norman osborne the lex luther of marvel and this was a fantastic way to do that without changing anything about the character right except maybe his obsession with spider-man by a twinge yeah i think that comes oh it's a big part of dark reign yeah, later yeah, yeah. But, dark um... reign and dark avengers for sure but you know we're not here to talk about dark rain and dark or we're not here to talk about dark avengers yet question mark uh we have to touch sinister spider-man at some point i'd imagine yeah yeah well we'll see <laughs> you know sinister spider-man month well i mean that kind of that kind of gets to the end of the ish or the story it's a, it's a real short two-parter the the big churn here that's not a big deal but should be mentioned is that after Doc Samson's kind of ghosted out of the plane, uh, Green Goblin turns his sights onto Obama 
And Norman Osborn says, not so fast, and decks him and deals with him. It's a it's a setup. Right. It's kind of clearly a setup, but, you know, whatever. But the important part here is that to the public perception, what the president would report, what's put forward, is that the Green Goblin tried to kill the president, and Norman Osborn saved the president from the Green Goblin. So you have this... It's not Norman that's the Green Goblin becoming the big plot point here that echoes throughout Dark Reign because it really calls into question past activities of the Green Goblin because people always just assume that was Norman, but it's not necessarily. And so a lot of that gets kind of tossed away and that becomes a big a big part of it. And I think that's kind of to the heart of what we're getting at here is the not Norman Green Goblin. Right. It, it's... It ties into our Not Norman title in a way that we get to have our cake and eat it too. Or maybe our our pumpkin pie and eat it too. Another important note is the artist rendered Norman Osborn's hair in a way that was much more realistic than what is normally done. Yeah, like you definitely see that it's just like really wiry and curly hair just clipped short. Which is, which is what the, the Norman Osborn hair is, is just someone with really curly hair clipped real short, like ringlets almost in the hair. Anyway, 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 I, I've kind of already said how I feel about this, but Matt, does this feel not like a Spider-Man story, but like a Green Goblin story to you? Because, I mean, this is clearly not a Spider-Man story. Spider-Man doesn't show up. Like, the, the only connection really is that Norman Osborn's there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this totally does. It's like, when you're playing that first Spider-Man movie game, you punch in the code, and then you're playing as the Green Goblin throughout. <laughs> no, this, this feels like a Green Goblin thing, definitely. It's a fun twist, and if you'd been following Thunderbolts up to this point, it took some of the themes of that and really twisted it to something of a darker place. All right, but and then let's see, and taking it back just one step, if you read Spider-Man but don't read Thunderbolts, would you recommend this to a Spider-Man fan who says that like, oh yeah, Norman Osborn, Green Goblin's my favorite villain. Would you recommend them this? I'd say yes, because this is, this is Green Goblin being played big in a way that actually lasted and lingered for a while. It wasn't just a... Uh... Mm-hmm. He gets a symbiote. Right. <laughs> oh, 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 now we're hitting on it. Okay, there we go. See, <laughs> see, good, good. Let the hate flow through you. Uh, <laughs> that's that's my Emperor Palpatine impersonation. I like Spider-Man 800 and all that, man. Anyway, so on that note, I would I would call this one reissued because, you know, I, I didn't really talk about it as much. I really dug this issue. Like I, like I said, it was it's like a cool thriller. And, you know, even though, you know, reading it, I know that nothing is going to happen to the president, whatever. It's still interesting and fun to read and you know, watching the the heist slash false flag, whatever you want to call it, you know, go off and all the machinations. It makes for a fun, engaging read. So I would definitely call it reissued, especially for those who say that, like, you know, Norman Osborn's their favorite. And maybe you would have known to follow Dark Avengers, but I felt like Thunderbolts was definitely the B title in, in that regard. Not only, I mean, I agree with what you said. This is also for our list, the the book that has the largest impact on the Marvel Universe. Right. Cool. Well, um, in that 
that regard, it's going to be a little weird putting this on the list because, again, this isn't a Spider-Man story. You know, Spider-Man doesn't appear on this. But, you know, it, our list, our rules. On that note, where, where would you put this one? Because I'm, I'm going to put this at, like, probably within, like, the, the 75 to 80 percentile as far as... Okay, what's that around? <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, I'm not doing math. <laughs> I would, I would call this uh, upper middle tier. So I would, right. this one I would argue is probably like, okay, I would put it below our top five. So it's not, it's not top five, but it's definitely above the bottom five, which puts it in the middle. Uh, and I would put it at the top of that middle. So that would place us at, um, I believe right under Spectacular Spider-Man 215 and 216. Okay, so Predator and the Prey is really that Scorpion story where you get a lot on him. And if I had to pick between the two, yeah, I prefer the Scorpion story. It, that's just a strong, fun one. That's kind of what we show up for here. That's what we're digging for. This is a little more outside the bounds and whatnot. I, I still think it's good, but between the two... Yeah, like if this was a Spider-Man story, like if it was this this like this quality and it was a Spider-Man story, yeah, I think I would put it over Spectacular. But you know, I I just I can't put something in our top five that doesn't have Spider-Man in it at all. But to assure, um, it, it, not quite the same way, but that would put it right above the Wraith Saga, which had small government political implications with the police force and whatnot, mm -hmm. and kind of this wider ranging scope because it was a multi-part Marvel team up so that especially for the time covered a lot of the Marvel universe so some parallels you could draw but I still think I'd be comfortable putting this above that one yeah I mean that was a fun story and all but it was really long and you know kind of overstuffed uh I get not not to say that this one's better just because it's two issues but you know, yeah. the, the issue with Team Up wasn't that it's four issues long. The issue with Team Up was that it was overstuffed. Like, there were, there were parts that dragged, and the story just kind of went on forever. All right, our new number seven, Thunderbolts with the Green Goblin, 128-129. Uh, we know we announced our next block, and we will be getting to it, but we're going to sneak in one little episode between the blocks. Think of it as a uh, palate cleanser. That's right. Next episode... We're doing nothing other than Marvel Team-Up Giant Size Annual Number 1. And to bring along the excitement and to bring some expertise to the holdings, we're bringing Adam Reck from the Battle of the Atom podcast to talk about this with us because it's Spider-Man and X-Men. King size, not just the giant size, the king size, which I'm not quite sure which is bigger, giant or king, but it's one of those. <laughs> you know, annual where Spider Man and the X Men team up to fight Hindu gods. It's a trip. So uh, make sure you tune into that one. And uh, a Marvel team up annual has to be about as throwaway as you can get in regards to Spider Man lore, which means it is a prime candidate for this show. Uh, hashtags annuals don't count. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! 
All Wait, right. Mark. Well, <laughs> thanks everyone for listening. Uh, you know, if you haven't, please feel free to subscribe and leave us a review for the show. Uh, if you've already done that, please consider sharing the show with someone you think might enjoy it or, you know, just go ahead and share it with anybody. All these things help our show to grow. If you can't just if you just can't get enough of us, please consider joining the amazing Spider Talk Patreon. Um, you know, a small donation a month of four dollars will get you exclusive access to our B-title reviews where Matt and I discuss the current B-titles on Spider-Man. You'll also get access to Mark and Dan's uh, reviews of the current Amazing Spider-Man, as well as access to our Patreon-only Slack channel where we kind of give you guys some behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, you get to you get first access to any kind of bonus content that Mark and Dan show puts out. Uh, and then if you want to contribute even further, we do have a second tier, the Excelsior Club, which uh, nabs you commissioned artwork twice a year from Spider-Man artists. Uh, right now we have Alex Saviak working hard at work on his commissioned art piece, and it's looking good so far. Special thanks again to the Ellie Badge for providing our theme song. If you want to listen to more from the Ellie Badge, please check out the show notes for links and maps. Where can we find you on the internet this week? Same as always, you can find me on the tweeters at MagicalMat42, which is the hub to all things I do. Yes, it is. For me on the internet, you're actually not going to find me on the internet because uh, I have recently decided to give up all of my electronic possessions and move out to Amish country. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, this podcast. It was a blast, and uh, keep on thwipping. No, no, you you can you can still find me on Twitter, the same place as always. Kane writes, and uh, you know you can find the show on Twitter. Until talks SPMN. Facebook, Until Talks to Spider-Man, and Gmail, until, until Talks to Spider-Man at gmail.com. Until Thunderbolts, 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 ho! Make there we go. All right. <laughs> Perfect. I'm calling it. All right. Let's stop recording. <laughs>